This is The Guardian. Hello and welcome to The Guardian Football Weekly. Six points from two games for England. Bakayo Saka's beautiful curler, some vintage Harry Kane, a start for James Madison and another game where Jude Bellingham is everywhere. It didn't set the heart racing, but Gareth Southgate couldn't have hoped for more from the start of his qualification campaign. Welsh limbs in Croatia, they did look a bit tired defending that long throw. A win for Scotland and mixed fortunes for Northern Ireland, to whom we give some much-needed coverage today. Then we'll get to Spurs. Antonio Conte gone the night before we record. We don't know how to handle this. We all knew it was coming. Can Stellini and Mason guide them to fourth place? On non-league day, we have news of serial hat-tricks and goalkeeper protests. There's some gentle trolling from an FA Cup winning goal scorer, some excellent feedback on the Soccer AM article, and a lovely story about footballers sending things in the post. Plus, exciting times at the top of the WSL. All that plus your questions, and that's today's Guardian Football Weekly. Philippa says, I had to see the dentist later today. So knowing that this lovely lineup will be waiting for me when I get home is very comforting. Hello, Troy Townsend. Welcome. Good morning. How are you? Yeah, very good. Thank you. Noreen Chowdhury, hello. Hello. Hello, Lars Sivertson. Good morning, Max. Uh, let's start at Wembley, shall we? Uh, ben says, Barry making himself scarce after his England will struggle prediction <laughs> last week. Um, we did have some emails and tweets about our coverage of England on Thursday, arguably being not, not entirely positive. Uh, England won both their qualifiers, one away at Italy very comfortably yesterday against Ukraine. Uh, let's open the floor to serious positivity about England, please. Nas, I will go to you first. Yeah, well, I mean, as you, as you can see, I've got my face painted, wearing my Italian yeah. 90 England top. So yeah, I'm uh, I'm passionately. Pro- it, it, it did it, looking at the mentions. Whenever you put out a question, like where who, whoever's on the sort of panel, and have you got any questions? It did feel as if I'd walked into some kind of war zone where like there was a lot of anger, wasn't there, at Barry? It was yeah. um the, the yeah there was a <laughs> Kane fans are like um it's like one direction is mixed with like. Like I, I, I don't know, like um, BTS fans. You need the extra bit of the uh, of the analogy. It's, maybe it's just one direction. Actually, actually, I sort of think Harry Kane fans aren't quite that. You know, there are there are many more obsessive uh, places on the internet. And I look. I mean, I thought I was quite positive about Harry Kane. I think he's really good. I think it's quite an achievement to score more goals for England than any other man. But, but hang on, you're gonna you're gonna bring this pod down no, already? No, no, okay. no. I, I would just like to point out that like your your praise of Harry Kane always seems so faint because it's like of all the people in all the world, all the people who kicked a ball in England <laughs> over these years, he was the one who made it. <laughs> it's it's kind of like. You, you tr- don't you think that's sort of the, there is a kind of there is a real truth to yeah, that but right though isn't there it, it, no there the, the, the absolutely is but you make it sound like six million years of evolution has led us to this place <laughs> 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 but uh, but now he's, 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 he's the, the thing with the thing with Harry Kane is there's lots of people lots of people who, who don't like him for whatever reason I think that's a lot of it, sort of club club rival. Um, there's a, there's a lot of really unfair unfair mockery about him, but he's he's clearly a brilliant footballer. And I think the thing with Kane is he's almost boringly brilliant in terms of you can you can sort of like wax lyrical about how amazing he is, but like everything's kind of been said said on that. Um, he's just he's just really reliable in terms of scoring goals, putting chances away. 
Even like, and he does everything correctly in in terms of build up play, the passes, spraying stuff out wide. Like uh, he he was instrumental um, in his own goal um, in in the in the build up. But yeah, positive for England. I think I think the exciting thing with, for England is when I was when I was growing up, there was always a sense of why does every other international team like have a set team where they always play the same players. And and England are always messing about with the players' formation, bringing people in, taking people out. Um, whereas you have the likes of Italy or or Germany or Spain, where you could name the you could name the um, basic formation and and the basic lineup straight off the bat. So England have got that, and now they've got a situation where they've got a really solid team, really reliable, effective team, and then you've got these like star players or what or what young people are now calling star boys. Which I can't get on board. Is with. that what it is? Well, they, well, they do. Like, any, any good young player, it's like our star boy, and and that's fine for the youngsters. But anyone over twenty five, like, just say they're a good player. Joe says, "In what year will Bukayo Saka win the Ballon d'Or?" He is he is very much a star boy, Troy, isn't he? And he was he was brilliant. He is it 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 feels hard, given the sort of surfeit of attacking talent either side of Harry Kane to have almost nailed down a place. And it's not saying that he'll have it forever because form is important. But at the moment, he has nailed down that spot, hasn't he? It feels good to throw throw Starboy into Nozzy's face now that I know that he doesn't <laughs> like it, to be fair. Um, uh, listen, he's a talent. He's developed. Uh, let's think about it. You know, less than two years ago, this lad was being ostracised and, and, you know, stripped apart just for missing a penalty and and yes it was a massively important penalty but it's something that anyone could miss um and his game has gone on leaps and bounds since the disappointment you know of that day and and he quite rightly is one of the star players in, for England scoring goals that he does off the cuff um like he does for Arsenal being very creative just being the player that that England want and need at this moment in time should be flanked by Rashford on the other side, but obviously he's disappointingly didn't go for the squad, although he's on holiday and people are criticising for taking a short break. But England have a lot of players with a very similar kind of style, but Saka is the one who has obviously, you know, gone to another level with his game. And if you're going to talk about important and pivotal players for that England squad, yes, Harry Kane is for the goals that he scores, but Saka definitely is for the for the creative nature of his play and and goal-scoring contributions as well. He's He's been amazing. And yeah, in a few years to come, could be up for that award for sure. And, and, and he's got a real understanding, Lars, with Kane, hasn't he? Yeah, seems to be. That was a, that was a nice uh, thing there before for the goal. I think I, I, it, it is a challenge that Southgate's always going to have, that for the next tournament, you're going to have uh, Sterling, Rashford, Foden, Grealish and Saka. And then hopefully, I certainly hope he gets back to where he should be level-wise. Hopefully you have Sancho in that mix as well. That's, you know, that, that those six... And Madison, pl- and Madison and, and, as well, and, right? Yeah, so six, seven players out of which you can probably only play two. Uh, and 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 that so, so so whichever way you cut that, unless you win everything, someone's going to be furious and say you should have done something else. Actually, this being England, even if you do win everything, someone's probably still going to be furious because <laughs> that is the nature of the beast. But on Saka, he's having an unbelievable season, and he's having the kind of seasons where certainly in my mind, you're not. You're gradually thinking not about him as a promising young player, but just as a straight-up superstar now, uh, as someone who is a match winner for his club and his country. And and he is, 
in this in a similar i mean they're different players obviously but in a similar way to bellingham you're, you're really impressed by his maturity all the time he, he doesn't play like a 21 year old he, he's so good at just kind of taking responsibility in difficult moments he's never afraid to receive the ball he's never afraid to try something and you know that goal was extraordinary and no he, he's a, he's a really really good player madison started jim says now that james madison's had his First England start, who will be the next social media darling that Gareth Southgate will get cancelled for not picking. Um, I thought he played well, actually. No, I mean, it didn't, nothing like he didn't score, he didn't set up a goal, but I thought he was, we know he's a super talent and, and, and he didn't look out of place. I know it was Ukraine. What can you gauge in 83 minutes or whatever? But I, I, I think he did himself a, like he did himself, what's the right way of articulating this? I, look, I thought he played well. <laughs> what I'm trying to say. You said the, the opposite of the, he did himself no favors. Yeah. He did himself men. He did himself many, many he favors. Did himself like favors. A, a, yeah, a, a lot of favors were done uh, yeah. from uh, Madison to Madison. Yeah. No, he was he, he was great. I think I think of all of those players like Bowden, um, obviously Madison, uh, there's, uh, Grealish. There's there's a lot of players uh, who can play in that kind of position. In in a strange way, Madison is the most exciting because he does things that you don't expect. He's, I think, in the purest sense of of like, I I know flair can mean all sorts of things, but in terms of doing stuff that you didn't expect him to do or 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 a cute little pass, he might be the best of the lot. It's it, to me, it feels as if Foden and Grealish can do obviously other things and perhaps are technically truer. But uh, Madison's Madison's the one who can sort of do that unusual thing, and and again, uh, it just shows the strength of the England team to have a player like him in their ranks, and uh, and yeah, uh, takes a bit of pressure off off uh, Rashford, who seems to have become a story this week. With Madison, I don't have numbers in front of me, but I suspect he loses the ball more often than the other wide forwards we mentioned. But I think that can be a good thing. I think actually having someone there who seems completely unbothered with keeping possession all the time and will try really difficult passes and will try to go for a little lob over the back line or something. Yeah, he's very, he does go for the sort of, uh, the, 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 doesn't find the wrong the right phrase for it, but he tries difficult things a lot of the time, which I think it's that, is it's, it's that maverick thing. It's 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 that thing of not being correct, and sometimes you need those players who aren't always making the most efficient move. It, they're just trying something different and being a bit risky. I worry that Grealish is becoming more correct. I yeah. liked him better when he was. Uh, yeah, yeah. I think if you look at those two as well, you kind of think why has Southgate not played them as many times as? potentially a lot of the fans have said. And I think it, it is that Maverick style of play. I think with Madison, he, he uh, listen, he was okay yesterday. He'll be happy to get it in the bag almost as a start and obviously was desperately trying to put, you know, to score. But he's, he's a player that does things off the cuff. And, uh, you know, whereas probably if you look at England squads down the years, those players haven't really excelled in the manner that they probably could. I think Southgate's got to look at trusting him a little bit more and trusting his style of play and then adapting it into his team as a started as a starter. Um, you know, Mason Mount is out of the picture at the moment. Does he get his place back or or is it that Madison now becomes a, a permanent kind of selection in that starting eleven? But if you look at all the permutations that that Southgate has in front of him and the criticism that his England squad gets, I mean, you'd rather have a squad like this, wouldn't you, with all those forward players like vying for for possibilities to start it's, it's it's exciting 
although the football's not great at the moment. But that normally happens in the in the qualifiers, doesn't it? In ter- in terms of Madison, he's the I think he's the last player in the England squad in England squad apart from possibly Luke Shaw that you could see in Love Island and. And, and 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 I think on the on the point that Lars made about Grealish, I feel that like that's been kind of drummed out of him. He's lost that Love Island sort of essence, and I don't know if that's Pep's. And do you think? But... Do you need a play? I mean, how many players do you need with an essence? Of oh, you, you, you don't need too many. You definitely don't no, need too many. But, but you need but, what you need one or two. Yeah, two. yeah, exactly. Just just to add that flavour, and. Uh, and just that hijinks. Yeah, we were forced to watch Love Island. I think once because a footballer had gone on to it, and um, and actually Barry did. <laughs> we never seen Love Island before. <laughs> he did turn and say, "Is it possible that you know some people are so good looking that they don't learn, don't have to learn how to talk?" Which I thought was quite a good analysis <laughs> of that show. On on Rashford, you talked about Rashford going away, and I was just looking at a headline in the mirror saying Gareth Southgate not pleased amid Marcus Rashford. And New York backlash, but actually, it doesn't say that at all. It was Gareth Southgate wouldn't be pleased with Marcus Rashford, according to Talk Sports. Tony Cascarino, I love Tony Cascarino, but it is not Gareth Southgate saying it. In fact, Gareth Southgate, when he was interviewed, seemed pretty relaxed about the whole thing. I don't, I don't, I don't you know, is it a problem if Marcus Rashford goes to New York, Troy? Are you upset with him for going to New York? <laughs> not like a- it's a flight, isn't it? I mean, it's a slightly longer flight than than Italy away. No, not upset at all. Listen, he, he's not the first that um, would have, you know, missed international duty and, and taken a short break, which I'm sure everyone must appreciate he deserves. He's had a stunning season. He is carrying a little niggling injury and he's been pulled out of the England squad. And I've just said that we've got a number of so many good players that can play that role. It has definitely provided an opportunity for someone like James Madison. So he won't be the last that has skip duty if that's the case but has put it down as an injury and and you know i think we make too much of it sometimes you know yeah i don't think i think i i, I don't think he's i don't think he's pretending you know i mean like there's no absolutely that. not but yeah. we're also trying to preserve a young player who again is playing I, I often think that people don't count the amount of times these players as players well and the amount of energy they they take up and i don't mean just in a 90 minutes but i mean in the course of a season um, and Marcus Rashford is one of those that has played a significant amount of games for United and I'm quite sure United are happy that he's gone uh, for a short break rather than gone and played two games during, well potentially or playing two games uh, during the break well I, I certainly think that if a player is uh, not fit enough for international duty he should spend those two weeks uh, sitting uh, on a chair uh, staring into the wall mostly in a sort of in a darkened room Maybe get some nuns in to sort of stand and look at them sternly and so they can reflect over their many shortcomings is that as human you, beings. Is that a thing you can do? I mean, is that... Sorry, Lars, is that a thing? Can you just get some... Can you get not some sure nuns thing, in? Like, yeah. how do you... Also, not sure the thing about the nuns might not work if it's a darkened room. You might need a bit of light for that to have right. an effect yeah. as well. Not so it through. Also, certainly all of it needs to have some kind of webcam so people can follow this so online I, to make I, absolutely I, sure. There's no fun whatsoever... Mm-hmm. And, and just shame uh, that that's really that would be really good for for the player's <laughs> mental health as well. I think. I mean, when you start saying get some nuns in and get a webcam, Lars, it's taking it in a different direction. <laughs> if you ask me, um, can we talk Where about you? Can we- Australia has changed you, Max? <laughs> no, I didn't. I didn't bring it up. It's just um, it's not where your brain would have gone a couple of years ago. Um, a word on Jude Bellingham, uh, and I'll go to you again, Lars, because obviously you watched a lot of him in the Bundesliga. He is 
everywhere. And actually, like the thing that the thing that you notice or I notice most is actually how quickly he recovers the ball defensively, high up the pitch. Not like being a, a defensive midfielder, but high up the pitch, winning the ball back is absolutely brilliant. No, he's great. He's he's just such a boss uh, on on the field, and, and I mean he has been. Uh, for a couple of years, which is a weird thing to say about a 19-year-old, but that's always kind of been the thing uh, from the first couple of times you, you I saw him play football. It's just, what? Like, you, you keep wanting to think uh, you, you need to like do, you need to carbon test this fellow because there's just no way he should be playing with this sort of level of maturity and, and, and intelligence and tactical savvy and just aura, I think, is a word that, that springs to mind uh, when he's that young. It's, it's, it's remarkable. He, he you know, he, he plays like he's like a 28-year-old who's won seven league titles and a couple of Champions League. You know, he has that sort of uh, uh, assured uh, presence in there. He, he's an incredible, uh, incredible player. Ivan Tony came on for the final 10 minutes, straight swap for Kemp. I'm not sure he touched the ball. So as a result, we should conclude he can't cut it at that level. But look, good for him to get on the pitch. And, and it just seems, actually just really feels like, and, and I, I felt this for the, all these tournaments where we've got closed noses, there was such a positive vibe around this camp. You know, Luke Shaw was suspended. He stayed there. He stayed with the team. I think all these things do make a difference. And, and it will, of course, come down to a fine margin. And unless we win the Euros, Southgate will get criticised for not picking a certain attacking midfielder or not bringing one on quickly enough. But I just feel like it's... And it's so easy to be on the critical side because the chances are we won't win it because France are really good and there are other teams. But I just think he's sort of doing what he should be doing. Yeah, completely, and it's and it's that thing of um, there's so many players and so many different options um, with with most international teams. You have a certain style of playing, and then you get a glut of a certain type of player, um, and then you're you're sort of struggling in in other areas, or you get uh, very much like for like the great thing about England is so many of their players um, are interchangeable in terms of quality, but different qualities. And uh, Ivan Tony's a, a a great example. I was, to be honest, I'm 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 really happy for him. Um, I know I know he's sort of under investigation, not all that business, but he seems like such a down to earth, nice lad. And any time you hear him interviewed, he just seems like a like 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 a credit to uh, to his club and country. And uh, I hope the whole situation that he got himself into, um, I hope it all gets resolved and and we can see. The best to him because he's such an exceptional player, uh, as well as just seeming like such a lovely lad. And also, it's a real sign of somebody who is whose career is Northampton, Barnsley, Shrewsbury, Scunthorpe, Wigan, Peterborough. He was at Newcastle as well, of course. You know, Brentford. It is a sign that you don't have to be from an elite academy and be there since you were seven to make it to this level. And I'd lo- I'd love to say, look, Kane is obviously the best centre forward, but I would love to see him get a run in a game perhaps where it's out of sight or, you know, we're, we're doing well at half time and, and he can come on. You know, he was playing in League One a couple of years ago, which for me, it makes me think, of, you know, how many other players are there in, in, in League One who just because they're not in the right collective context are not able to show the full potential that they have? Because I'm sure he's made, maybe he's made changes to his game or how he trains or how he lives. I don't know, but I suspect he's not a 
you know, has transformed his life and his game completely since then. It's just football is a team sport. So sometimes you need to be in the right team to, to show what you can do. And that's something that really kind of, with all the with all the scouting and analytics and stuff we do now, I'm totally convinced that there are really good players out there who just aren't noticed because of uh, where they are and what they're not able to do in that context. A little bit on Ukraine. Obviously, it's a very difficult time. I mean, it's a total understatement for the for the country. And some of those players took, who were playing in the Ukrainian league took like 24 hours to get to the UK because there are no direct flights. They didn't really offer a whole lot, Lars, did they? I mean, they neat and tidy without a real cutting edge is, is what I would say. Yeah, I was going to bring that up because during the game, I did see a number of uh, sort of derogatory tweets about the standard of the spectacle and not all of them were from John Bruin. <laughs> Uh, and it, so it was. It, it wasn't an amazing. Uh, it, it, you know, we've been talking up England, and rightly so. You know, six out of six in their first two games, job done. It wasn't an amazing sort of you know spectacle. But I think part of that was that Ukraine were kind of quite good at stopping England, but 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 not good enough to stop England from creating enough chances, and also not good enough at uh, to to create chances themselves. I mean, they had what three shots in the game. They never really were able to establish much of a, a threat at all, and uh, yeah, it was a, it was a tough one for them. England were in complete control. And yeah, the FA and Wembley gave a thousand tickets to refugees and families of those that are hosting them. Around four thousand fans who did really bring the atmosphere. Um, and uh, elsewhere in England's group, Italy beat Malta two nil in Malta. Retegui scoring another one. Uh, Malta had a brilliant chance. That was about four minutes. Uh, could have gone one up. Could have changed. Could have made it interesting, uh, but yeah, comfortable for Italy. And uh, England's next game is away in Malta, which is a lovely place to go for a mini break. Um, if you know, if you if you want to pop over there for that, June the sixteenth, and home to North Macedonia three days later on the nineteenth of June. Uh, right, that'll do. Max, part Max, one. do you mind before yes? we skip from part one? I, if I just mentioned, I don't mind at all. <laughs> if I just mentioned the, you know, there were a number of presentations, wasn't there, before the game? But one quite significant one was the honorary cap given to Jack Leslie's family, his granddaughters, I believe. Anyone that doesn't know that story, Jack Leslie obviously called up for England back in 1925, a game against Ireland, but was then basically dismissed from the squad because of the colour of his skin. Um, I don't understand why it takes long, this long, nearly 100 years to, to present a cap, but it's there now and Jack has been rewarded for that. And I think that's quite a significant moment, particularly for the family members as well. Absolutely. And you're absolutely right to stop me before no I ended part one. Um, unless anyone else wants to come in with anything else, we'll end it there. And uh, we'll do the other home nations in just a second. Welcome to part two of the Guardian Football Weekly. We'll talk about uh, Wales draw in Croatia. Ellis James uh, has sent us a voice note. We'll talk about Scotland's win. But we're going to start with uh, Northern Ireland because we have been criminally bad at talking about Northern Ireland and uh, it is, uh, we apologise because we should have been better at it. And I'm very pleased to say Keith Bailey, who writes for the Belfast Telegraph, um, is on the line. Did you get in touch with us to tell us off, Keith? Or was that someone else? But I'm glad you're here. I mean, I think the whole of the, the Green and White Army at various points have been in touch with, uh, with Guardian Football Weekly to tell you off for, uh, for your North Ireland coverage. I'm, I'm glad I'm here to, uh, to put you right. Unfortunately, I wish it was coming on to talk about a better result, but that's not quite the way things panned out. Yeah, our anti-Northern Ireland agenda is real. But yeah, I, look, it was, it was a bit flat, wasn't it, yesterday? Because obviously Michael O'Neill coming back is such a positive for Northern Ireland. And um, winning San Marino might be expected, but it's still a win. You start the campaign well. You look at that group and you think, wow, look, you could come second, you could come fifth. It's that kind of group. 
And then yesterday, you just couldn't capitalise at home to Finland, losing 1-0. Yeah, I mean, that's a fair reflection. It was a big, big event because Michael O'Neill is is loved in Belfast. He's revered. You know, he, he's undoubtedly the best man for the job. It was a big coup for the RHFA to bring him back after the success he had in, in Euro 2016. And the, the hype to the game was built up nicely with the win over San Marino, of course. San Marino was only San Marino, but North Ireland played well in that game. So it was a real disappointment uh pull out such a poor performance against Finland. Now, it wasn't dreadful. North Ireland had plenty of territory in the second half, but they just lacked that little bit of flair, that creative edge to to create the chances that they needed to. And it is it's just a real disappointment because really, if North Ireland are going to qualify, you need to win your home games against the likes of, of Finland. Um, so it's a major disappointment, but I suppose not to make excuses, but you look at it and there's six players there, and the Evans brothers, Stuart Dallas... Stephen Davis, who incredibly is still playing, uh, Shane Lavery and, and Ali McCann, who all would have started that game, but they're all injured. So it was, it's uh, you need to to have a bit of perspective with it and not not overreact. I think. Yeah, and, and look, you need you need a Galactico, right? You need you that these these countries need like lots of solid pros and a couple of Galacticos. And I don't know if Shay Charles is is that player, but like it's really it must be really exciting to have this young guy who's at Man City. So he clearly must be great. He's obviously super inexperienced, but playing in your central midfield. It's funny that you mentioned Galactico, because Northern Ireland have, have probably never really had a, a Galactico in, in recent times. Um, we always considered that Michael O'Neill was our Galactico in yeah, a way. Yeah. Um, I would imagine that some, some fans at Sook City might not agree with that, but um, he's obviously a big player for us. But you, you're right to touch on Shea Charles. He's 19. He's a Rolls-Royce of a central midfielder. You can tell that he's trained with Manchester City and Pep Guardiola. He, he's just a class act. And and it's no surprise that Borussia Dortmund are, seem to be interested in him. Um, I think he looks a really exciting prospect, as does the right-back, uh, Conor Bradley, who is at Liverpool, but is currently on, on loan at Bolton Wonders. And those two, arguably, last night, in fact, no argument about it. We're with Ireland's best two players, and they're both 19. You also have Isaac Price coming through, who is is with Everton. who came off the bench last night. He's also 19. He looked about he looked about 11, didn't he? <laughs> yeah, he, he really does. He looks very, very small. Um, but the three of those, uh, plus Dan Ballard, the, the Sunderland centre back, who's who's a little bit older, but also quite impressive. There's a nucleus there, and, and maybe the problem with this group is this is very much the group of life but it feels like it's the right grip at the wrong time. It's just a little bit too early for those players and a little bit too late for Johnny Evans and Steve Davis and co. So it, the timing isn't ideal. And yes, you need you need Denmark to win all their games, except against you. And Denmark didn't, they lost in Kazakhstan, um, Lars, which, I mean, it was, an, there was the scenes in, in a, you know, Astana were incredible, and Kazakhstan's second goal, by the way, is an utterly ridiculous strike. But I, 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 you know, is has this rocked the world of Scandinavian football, Lars? Well, I just have had a gander at the Danish uh, press and the sort of tabloid, their ex blah in particular, and their their player ratings were savage. <laughs> they got they they gave ratings to all the players they get, of ratings for one out of six, and uh, th- there were eight players who got a one. <laughs> <laughs> they included the subs here. So from one to six, eight players got one out of six, five getting a two out of six. And then the only player to get more than a two was the striker, Rasmus Heulund, who has been a bit of a revelation in this uh, pause. But no, it was a total collapse. Uh, and uh, it, 
<laughs> I mean, again, I read Danish to a decent standard. You know, Scandinavian languages work that way. But I do Google Translate it sometimes just to make sure I just get the gist. And this is the opening of the article with the player ratings was terrible result for Denmark, dirty, not approved, and surreal. The, the stain from Qatar is back and it's ugly and has grown bigger. So you know, it's fair to say the Danes were, were not impressed with what went on there. You, you shouldn't give away a 2-0 lead to Kazakhstan, of course, under any circumstance. And and, and for Northern Ireland, yeah, that, that's uh, that's not good. And I actually, it's, it's interesting knowing Northern Ireland play Finland because I guess Finland is an example of that, of just... The fact they have Timu Puki, who just has a little bit of canny uh, about him, you know, he 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 kind of got the assist, sort of flicking the ball onto the the other f- forward for the goal. I, I guess it's that having one player who's played at quite a high level and has that sort of go- goal poaching instinct makes such a big difference when you have a, a a group of players who the rest of them are pretty workmanlike. Yeah, that's what you need, Keith. Is goals from somewhere. Yeah. I mean that that's a good. Point. I mean we had David Haley for a long time, who you know maybe didn't have the most glorious club career, but for Northern Ireland was was absolutely phenomenal. Um, and then Kyle Lafferty a little bit later on, more recently, he's at Linfield now in in the Irish league, and, and you know isn't wasn't selected for this. But um, you know we don't have that. You, the hope was that it could be Dion Charles. Of course, he scored two goals against um, San Marino, but. He didn't have such a good game last night. He's quite dominion if he isn't. He hasn't got the presence, perhaps, of a Timu Puki. Um, so, yeah, there, there's no doubt the Northern Ireland don't really have that number nine. You've, you've either the diminutive Charles or you've the kind of lumbering Josh McGuinness, and, and there just isn't maybe the quality that we've had in, in previous campaigns. Um, I, I, finally, Keith, are you going to go to Astana? I was just looking. I mean, it's absolutely miles away. It's further east than Kabul, and it's, you know... It, I mean, and Kazakhstan is absolutely enormous. I, these are maybe, I mean, it's not a geography podcast. Maybe everyone else knew this, but will you be heading there in September? Absolutely not. No, it's far too far away. Um, <laughs> the Belfast Telegraph budget might stretch its sense to send, send one of us there, but they're not going to send me as well. So, uh, yeah, unfortunately, I will I will watch that at home. Good stuff. Well, thanks for coming on, Keith. Consider yourself hired if you're happy uh, to keep contributing. Um, it's not before time that we've done some Northern Ireland. Thanks, Keith. Thank you. Keith Bailey there from uh, the Belfast Telegraph. Uh, Scotland beat Cyprus 3-0. Uh, Barca Jim is joining us on Wednesday to uh, discuss Scotland in detail. Uh, they also played Spain on Tuesday night. Why are you grinning, Noz? I'm just, I'm just, I, I asked, I asked uh, Jim whether it was cultural appropriation for me to buy that, that uh, Scotland top. Because it's so lovely, isn't it? It is really nice, yeah. So, uh, yeah, but, but, but he said, uh, he said yeah, I mean, usually he's, he'd say yes, but he says because it's such a nice kit. I can probably get I can probably get away with it. So yeah. yeah, the collar's excellent. Yeah, the 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 trim is really beautiful, isn't it? Um, look, a good win. Scott McTominay put a gloss on it because it was getting a bit nervy. But I guess if Scotland have the depth to bring someone like that on, that is a positive position that Steve Clark has got them in. But we'll do them in great detail on Wednesday. Fear not. Um, just on, I mean, I just wanted to ask Lars. We were talking there about Finland and Denmark, and obviously Denmark's embarrassing result. Um, what's the situation over there in terms of like local rivalries? Like, would would Norwegians be ecstatic to see Denmark lose? Who 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 would enjoy it most? It's it's kind of low key that there's a proper. I, I I I almost think that in terms of the rivalry being properly heated, I think it's the Finland versus Sweden one. There, there can be some actually sort of yeah. The Finns and the Swedes are a bit sort of hmm, about each other. 
the Norwegians and the Danes, the Swedes and the Danes, like there, there's a bit of it's it's very good, it's very mild mannered. I do occasionally get in trouble. There are some Norwegians who have uh, antipathy towards Swedes, uh, so I do I do sometimes get in trouble. There are some of them when I say that there's nothing, but I think it's very compared to other regions of the world, it's incredibly mild mannered. I mean, considering how well Sagan Oren and Martin Rode work together in the bridge, you know, between Sweden and Denmark to find you know, the killers, you'd think that, the, you know, they have a one, it's like almost a symbiotic relationship, don't they, the, the Swedes and the Danes? What I find, with, with certainly with people in Norway, sports people and sports fans, if they're really into winter sports, then there's a bit of sort of anti-Sweden there, because we are kind of competing with the Swedes more at the sort of top of the tree and, and cross-country skiing and stuff. Whereas in football, honestly, I think a lot of Norwegians quite like it when the Swedes do well. And if we don't qualify for a tournament, we kind of, you know, we root for them a little bit. It's worth saying you didn't really take it up and run with me on the Scandi Noir <laughs> gag, gag there. No, I didn't, Max. I absolutely, I absolutely did not. <laughs> just not even, not even, just, just, I'm not even, not even acknowledging it. <laughs> that's, that's where it's got to. I also think, I, I also think that lack of rivalry is a damning indictment of a, of a, of a healthy standard of living. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're, too, we're too pleased. <laughs> we are. No, the, the Finnish are the happiest, aren't they? I think it was revealed. Yeah, though the, the they are, the I'd say that the yeah, it, it, Finland, for instance, Finland beating Sweden is like the one that would mean the most to someone. I think uh, out of all the regions up there, I think that that would be a big deal for them in a big way. Let's hear from Ellis James. David says, "Have Croatia finally got tired, Graham? The Croatians looked tired at the end, didn't they, Max? Absolutely brilliant results in Croatia." Uh, for Rob Page and Wales, and here is Ellis James. Croatia won, Wales won, in a result that enters the Welsh pantheon of great results historically. Uh, and I know that might sound ridiculous and like hyperbole, but if you look at the context, Croatia have never lost a European Championships qualifying game at home in a record that stretches back to 1994. So it's, they played 36 games in Croatia, haven't lost once. They've only lost three World Cup qualifiers. They're almost peerless at home. Um, we've never beaten them. Also, they've still got Luka Modric. We've lost uh, our talisman in Gareth Bale. It's the post-Gareth Bale era. The person who's under an awful lot of uh, pressure to produce a sort of moments of magic that Gareth Bale used to. Brendan Johnson was unavailable through injury. Same goes for Ben Davis, who's one of our most experienced players. So I think the Welsh management team were looking at these two fixtures, Croatia away and then Latvia home tomorrow night in Cardiff. They were, they were hoping for three points, I would imagine. And I think this was probably... Uh, you could probably see this because after 64 minutes, even though we'd had a dreadful first half, very poor and hard to watch, we started really brightly um, after half time, and it was our best period in the game. But regardless, you know, ignoring that, uh, Rob Page took off Aaron Ramsey, Harry Wilson, and Dan James and replaced them with uh, Sober Thomas, Wes Burns, and Nathan Broadhead, clearly looking to uh, Tuesday night to try and. Uh, <laughs> to try and rest our best players. Um, it was difficult to watch at times, but then Nathan Broadhead from Bangor, he uh, he pops up in the 93rd minute with an equaliser. <laughs> what was our first shot on target? And suddenly a game that had been really difficult to watch and people were questioning Rob Page's uh, tactical naivety and all that kind of stuff, suddenly it becomes one of the greatest away days of all time. Um, I wasn't there. 
because uh, Izzy, my partner, was uh, doing stand-up at a literary festival in West Wales. And I'm glad, actually. I'm really glad. And I think that's, I think it's great. And, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll go to Turkey and I might go to Latvia as well. But I'm, I'm glad I missed one of the, the greatest away days in the history of Welsh football. Because I think it's cool. I think it's, yeah, I love it. It would be very Welsh now for us to mess up on Tuesday night against Latvia. We have to win that. Um, if we end up after this international break with four points, that puts us in a really, really good position. We then got Armenia at home and Turkey away. And, you know, it's it, on paper, it looks like it's between us and Turkey for second place, which is what we're going for in this group. But young Nathan Broadhead, as soon as the ball hit the back of the net, he seemed to burst into tears at the emotion of it all. He's quite an interesting player because at Euro 2016, when the senior team were doing so well, people were saying, well, there's... There's young kids who seem to be as good and people were naming people like uh, Ethan Ampadu, but in particular Nathan Broadhead, who at under-19s level was banging them in. He scored five in six games for the under-19s and it didn't really work out for him at senior level. He's only played once for Everton, uh, but he's gone to Burton Albion, he's gone to Sunderland, did quite well at Sunderland, scored uh, 10 in 20 and then Wigan. Now he's at Ipswich and he's playing well at Ipswich. But yeah, I mean, you could just see what it meant to him. He, the emotion on his face, I just thought, what a sport. What a sport this is. Uh, anyway, um, all eyes on uh, the Cardiff City Stadium. Now, Latvia are 133rd in the world, so we really, really do need three points against them if we're going to qualify. But Max, it just doesn't get any better than that. Ireland play France tonight. Philippe is there uh, with us on Wednesday to talk about the French, and that'll do for part two. Part three, we'll discuss Antonio Conte. Shock, leaving Tottenham. Welcome to part three of the Guardian Football Weekly. D Withers, friend of the pod, says, what do the panel think of Conte being fired before the show is recorded? Is this another example of spursiness or just downright shithousery? Yes, uh, he left by... Uh, mutual consent, um, Spurs statement. We can announce that head coach Antonio Conte has left the club by mutual agreement. We achieved Champions League qualification in Antonio's first season at the club. We thank Antonio for his contribution and wish him well for the future. It's not a, not a lot of mention for this season in that paragraph. Uh, Christian Stellini will take the team as acting head coach for the remainder of the season, along with Ryan Mason as assistant head coach. Daniel Levy said we have 10 Premier League games remaining. We have a fight on our hands for a Champions League place. We all need to pull together. Everyone has to step up to ensure the highest possible finish for our club and amazing loyal supporters. Um, this was always coming. Lars, I mean, what do we know about Stellini? And it did appear when he was in charge, the players quite liked it, possibly because he just wasn't Antonio Conte. It is a bit strange there because he, he is sort of a... A long-time uh, assistant of Conte's, and you rarely see that. That the, you know, they usually with coaches when they have staff that they usually work with, that's usually a package deal. You know, it's it's quite rare to see one of them stick around after the other has been knifed. I, I, I wonder what situation is there. But but at least this has been cleared up. I mean, there was part of me that wanted this to drag on until the next home match at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium so you could have Conte just be booed relentlessly by the home crowd. Now, that that would have been quite a spectacle. But but no, obviously it had to happen because you've had a situation where the head, where the manager has made it clear that he thinks the club is beneath them and that all the spy, players are the spineless weaklings. And, and, and when the manager says that and 
you know, or at least intimates that, then I don't think there's many places you can go from there. You know, he, he, he didn't want to be there, so he probably shouldn't have to. If a new manager came in, Troy, it would be quite hard for them to get their ideas across in terms of these 10 games. There are two things. Here. There's these 10 games to try and get fourth, and then who's the next manager going to be? Does it actually make some sense to go, well, Stellini knows the players. They don't seem to hate him. We've got as much chance of getting fourth with him as we did if we got Nagelsmann or Amarin or, or or whoever. So let's do that and actually take time on this appointment. And I, can't, I mean, I... I can't, I can't help feeling every time Spurs have to get a new manager and I say, this one really matters. <laughs> it feels like this one really matters. Listen, the, the delay of the, of the sacking or mutual consent, as we say, me- meant that they missed out on Roy Hodgson as well. So you could have put him in the <laughs> That's a very good point. You? Yeah. <laughs> um, listen, uh, I would have thought much better of the club and, and maybe uh, leave if they'd done it instantly. He basically, as Lars has said there, said, everybody is crap. Yeah, everything around me is shocking. And you know what? You need to let me go. And we, you know, they deliberated. They deliberated. They deliberated. I know there's a financial thing behind it all as well. And I understand all that. But I think actually they would have had more kind of appreciation from the, the fans as well for saying, look, we're not standing for that. We're not having a manager speak out in that way about the running of the football club. Thank you very much. See you later. Um, Stellini thing, thing is, a thing, I went into my little West Indian culture there. The Stellini thing is, is, is interesting because, again, they haven't really been great under Stellini. It was the Sheffield United defeat when he was in charge or do they just say, well, it was still Conte's team? Listen, you're never going to get someone into a club like Tottenham that quick to be able to then deal with those, those last 10 games. So maybe they've just gone, look, for safe for now, they obviously didn't trust Mason to take it on for the last 10 games. So they've made him the assistant head coach. And it will be an interesting summer with who they, they're going to try and get in. The um, Because the Champions League will mean everything to every any manager that wants to take that role on. Um, so it's, it's a difficult period for Spurs again. There are some interesting names uh, being thrown around. I, I, I kind of feel sorry for Brighton fans in the middle of all this, because I know he's only just got there. But, but I would really be interested in seeing what um, Roberto De Zerbi could do at a club with, with slightly more, you know, slightly more resources than, than Brighton. I do apologize to Brighton, but there is probably a ceiling for what you can achieve at that club. And I just think the way he's only been there for a very short period of time, but the way he's implemented certain principles there this fast and mid-season as well with limited time on the training ground is, is incredibly impressive. And, and Spurs just have... Let's just say they have a good history of 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 heading of hiring you know, an exciting up and coming coach from the south coast. I mean, this worked before, might work again. Uh, you do see them linked with a few other names, Luis Enrique being one who's mentioned, and I guess you know, with the last couple of hires, you know, Spurs have gone Pochettino, Mourinho, Conte. It does seem that Danny Levy has a sort of predilection for sort of strong Latin men, uh, so, so it's possible that you know. Uh, Luis Enrique with his sort of Iron Man event uh, hobbying you know, he's he's a very very strong man and he's quite sort of uh, strong willed as well could be Julio Iglesias well. if that's the yeah. maybe I mean maybe that's the this is where we go with it I, I suppose when I was looking at it I mean you're capable of looking at it from just a Spurs angle but look Man United brought in Eric Ten Hag and it, it seems to you know if you get the right person 
I mean, I don't know if you think Spurs is completely, you know, is is what Conte said was totally true and it is just dead from within and whoever you get is the same. If they had to get the right person in, there is enough quality in that squad to compete, not necessarily for the title, but at least be on the right path, right? It's amazing how quickly things can turn around uh, for a group of players that essentially a, a manager's given up on uh, or, the, or the exiting manager's given up on. And and there's no better example of that recently than obviously Manchester United and, and the way... The players, uh, there was a period last season where uh, a lot of the fans were saying, we don't like any of these players. None of these players are playing for the team. Uh, they're all just petulant. Um, some of them probably still are a little bit petulant. But um, that idea of uh, we've given up on on this set of players and then some, and a manager comes in with a plan and a way of doing things and and, and someone who's got their own kind of discipline and and... Basically, such conviction in what they're doing that the players go with them, and and Ten Hag's done that at United, and 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 the right manager could do that at, um, at Spurs, and I mean, I mean, but again, like Lars mentioning lots of names there, it just shows his clear anti anti Danish agenda that 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 he didn't go for Thomas Frank. I think he'd be a great option. He's like he's like the most North London looking Danish man ever. <laughs> he looks. He, he, he looks like you. I imagine him walking out of a mechanic, sort of like like uh, cleaning his hands with with like an old rag, asking what he can do for you. Uh, so yeah, he in, in my mind he'd be perfect. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's just telling that uh, Lars didn't mention his name. Yeah, interesting. I mean, I wonder if that's part of you know the not that any of their previous Matt three managers have played good football, but like this idea that now they have to bring someone in who plays. Just you know, understands the DNA, Lars. You know that's what that's- I, I think they. I, I think I think they have to bring someone in who wants to be there. I think that's the big takeaway after Mourinho and Conte. No more of these dudes who feel like they're taking a step down and doing Tottenham a favor by by you know by being there. That we can't have that. Which is another strike against Nagelsmann. I feel uh, and Luis Enrique for that matter. Uh, I I I think Spurs are such a strange club because Spurs obviously. You know, if you're, I mean, you mentioned Brentford. If you're Brentford, if you're Brighton, if you're clubs like this, you think, oh, poor Spurs. You know, they, they're pretty wealthy as things go. I mean, they'll they'll be one of the wealthiest clubs in the world. But still, the the job for Spurs every season, even with the new stadium, is how are we going to finish above clubs that can spend more than a hundred million more than us in wages every year? You know, they are trying to compete with clubs that can spend a lot more than them. And and I think you have to try to be a little bit innovative. I think you have to try to think outside the box a little bit. And you have to get a manager who accepts that we're not going to be mega successful immediately. We're not going to sign a bunch of 30-year-olds who's been there and done that. You've got to have someone who's a little bit more nurturing, I think, than what they've gone for in the last couple of appointments. And, uh, you know, Spurs fans might not enjoy hearing this, but I really think Arsenal currently are the model for what Spurs should be trying to do. You know, they they hired a young, ambitious uh, manager with some fresh ideas. They signed, uh, they put together a team made up largely of players under 25. And then you hope enough of those young players, you know, hit their stride at the same time. And then suddenly you can do something extraordinary like Arsenal are doing this season. That's exactly what Tottenham should be trying to do. And it is eerily similar to what Tottenham did sort of six, seven, eight years back when they first had Pochettino in and that team that did really well. So get get back to that strategy, I think. It's, it's remarkable, isn't it? Because you look at the two sides and you look at the last North London derby, the, the Champions League North London derby from last season. 
and how easy it was for Spurs to go and win that fixture. And yes, okay, Arsenal had someone sent off, but you could only see the, the two teams going one way. But Arsenal was still on that development strategy and that has come into play this season. And, you know, I don't know what it is about this Spurs team. I feel for, you know, I was scouring Twitter yesterday and hearing all these comments about every 18 months we change our manager the strategy from the board is unclear. So how can the strategy from the manager be clear? So how can the strategy to the players be clear? And I think there's a lot of this, like not knowing actually what they want to achieve at the football club that makes it very disappointing for the many that, that go and support, you know, in the brand new stadium and kind of have an idea of what Spurs are trying to achieve. What do they want? What do they want a manager to achieve? You know, that's probably the hardest thing. They definitely need a calmer manager. They don't need a another manager who who's more vocal than anything else within the environment. But they're very hard to find. And I think that the team needs, uh, definitely needs some new faces. And when I say new faces, it, it's almost out with the old in with the new. And it needs a new strategy and a new plan. And I'm, I'm not sure that the highest element of the football club is ready to deliver that at the moment because I'm not quite sure they understand it. Yeah, I mean, I guess the point is they rolled the dice twice to get a inverted commas winner in to just get them a piece of silverware to get that monkey off their back so it was like it's not the league cup in 2008 or whatever it was and it hasn't worked and i look, i don't know and 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 you can't judge or you can't just say fans want this because fans are not a monolith but i think a lot would be very open to a young manager developing the side playing good football and trying to get there over time rather than just who's the most famous person can we win the FA Cup this year? But, you know, who knows? Anyway, we will uh, we'll discuss it as and when they get a new manager in and see how they go and hope they get fourth. Um, uh, it's wide open at the top of the WSL. Um, it's The title race is brilliant here. Man City won 2-0 at Chelsea. Not many people expected that. Uh, Lauren Hemp scored an absolute banger. Um, uh, so Man United are top. They hammered West Ham at the weekend. City are second. They both got the same points, same games. Chelsea are third, have a game in hand, one point behind, and Arsenal two points behind them with a game in hand as well. Arsenal beat Spurs 5-1 in the North London derby. So uh, you can listen to the Guardian Women's Football Weekly that uh, will discuss that title race in detail. Um, it was non-league day. Amazing scenes at Burgess Hill Town versus Chatham Town uh, from the Burgess Hill Town uh, Twitter account. 77, goal Chatham. The Chatham goalkeeper has just scored a long ball downfield. The wind catches it. Our goalkeeper slips and it flies in. Only at Burgess Hill, they say. The next tweet is 83rd minute. The game has not restarted. The Chatham goalkeeper scored. We restarted. There was an incident. Not sure what the incident is. The Chatham goalkeeper got sent off, then proceeded to lie on the pitch in protest. (laughs) Heartily in favour of uh, semi-professional footballers just lying down on the pitch. Sort of toddler tantrum style. Uh, I don't know if he's still there. We could find out. Hopefully, we'll find out by Wednesday. Uh, also, congratulations to Eddie Simon of Walton and Hersham, who is the first player in the history of England's top eight divisions to score four consecutive league hat-tricks. Um, he looks quite wispy. So, you know, I mean, I don't know a lot about Eddie Simon as a player. Uh, I suspect even that's beyond Lars's reach. Many congratulations to you. Thank you to Norman Whiteside who, when I asked for questions, said, how are Cambridge getting on? I did not expect trolling from Norman Whiteside about what is really looking like a four. Like it's desperate now, absolutely desperate, and I'm sad about it. But, um, you know, if you want to... Is he a podiatrist or a chiropodist, Nos? Do you know? 
What didn't he become one of those two? Wasn't he what Norm Whiteside? Mm. Wasn't he a physio for a while? I don't know what he spe- he went into specialize, but um, but yeah, um, I'm sure he does it does it very well. Anyway, could he help with my plantar fasciitis? To, is that, he's a podiatrist, apparently. He could. Well, I mean, I mean, it's like, I mean, he always was uh, a big man who was good with his feet. So, mm. so that well, I don't need sense. him to be good. I don't want him to work on my feet with his feet. I want him to work with his hands on my feet. I mean, unless he's a like a like he's a method podiatrist. Is that, is that, is that, is that what you're saying? I mean, I don't need. Listen, if you have an ingrown toenail or something, that's not going to work. I'll be honest. I'm I'm not an expert in the field. I don't know how it works. Do, 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 do you not combine no. feet and just have a bit so, of a play? So around? what happens is what happens is I lie on a chair. Norman Whiteside takes his shoes and socks off. He starts rubbing his feet with my feet. We get some nuns in. Get a webcam, <laughs> and then all bets are off. <laughs> James says, "Not a question." Big shout out for Noz's uh, recently released book. It's really top notch. I listen to it as an audio book, and it's great. Um, I, we keep saying we're going to do a bit on your book, and we haven't done it yet. <laughs> not, so you, dang, you, you dangle that fish, and I yeah. come on. Yeah, I guess I need to read it first, and I'm still halfway through inverting <laughs> a pyramid. So you know. It was a few years. It's, it's a bad sign if we're not doing a bit on the book during International Week. I know. <laughs> that's 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 a, that's a if it's not happening now, <laughs> when is it happening? David says, uh, Max, do you regret turning down the Blue Peter gig for Soccer AM? You could have been presenting Country File or have your own farm program now rather than doing this tripe for us lot three times a week. Mind you, you may not have met Barry, silver linings and all, I suppose. DeLacy says, can we have a breakfast leftovers update from Lars? It's been far too long. I need some inspiration. What's uh, what's on your breakfast plate today, Lars? Uh, I, it's really bad. I haven't actually had breakfast today. I feel like I've completely let everyone down with that. That's, that's a, there should have been something oh, you funny, have. but there wasn't. And then I had like a half second. Should I lie? Should I make up something goofy for no? No, you I, can't lie. No, that's an honest. Yeah, an no, honest I, podcast. I, just, I didn't have breakfast. Um, I am. I, I I am enjoying a, a, a watching Lars occasionally. A, a, like a tail will come into shot. Oh yeah, the dog is uh, the dog is being very antsy this morning for some reason. She can't really decide where she wants to be or what she wants to do, so she's kind of walking around and... a little bit like Conte. <laughs> she's a lot less high maintenance than well, I think so, but maybe actually her internal monologue about me is the same as Conte's was, or his monologue was very much external. But like maybe she actually completely despises me and thinks you know a much higher class of owner would be preferable for this nonsense. <laughs> does it does lead you to think if that was his external monologue, what was his internal monologue? What was he? What was what was Antonio just holding a, back? What was it like, like? I just I just I didn't want to give everything. You know, you just got to tell a few. He has had sometimes. the air of a man who's just shouting "cazzo" internally over and over again for several yeah. months. Also, also, also talking about dogs. It made me laugh when when earlier Lars was talking about uh, Stalina and the fact that he stayed, and it just it, it just brings to mind this idea of like Conte's like right, we're going. Come on, Christian. Cri- yeah. Christian? Christian? <laughs> and he just looked at That's true, isn't it? Do we know if Ray Lewington is back with Roy at, uh, at Crystal Palace? I mean, he must be, mustn't he? You know, and then Mark think, Bowen, Mark is, Bowen yeah. with Mark, Mark Bowen is, yeah. and Mark Hughes, you know. Is Mark Bowen at Bradford? I should know that. You know, heel, heel, Mark. <laughs> um, anyway. Um, 
I'm indebted to Danny last, and this is something that came from the radio shows, but I'm happy to cross the stream when it's this good. We got onto the subject of, actually, you mentioned Roy Hodgson. We got onto the subject of footballers sending you things in the post because someone called Ben said that his grandfather, it it doesn't sound plausible, but it also can't be a lie. Ben messaged us to say that his grandfather had seen Roy Hodgson on Match of the Day and written him a letter to saying how he how much he liked his tie. And Roy Hodgson sent Ben's grandfather the tie. Like I mean what I mean if it's a lie, I mean it's got me a lying singer, but I just can't imagine you that's too good to make up. Not only that Roy Hodgson would get a letter. Who's got all the time on their hands to send a letter to Roy Hodgson saying I liked your tie? And then for Roy to box the tie up and then send it to this man. It's a wonderful thing. Anyway, Danny messaged on this subject to say, um, you know, the question was, have you ever, has a footballer ever sent you anything? And he said, Gary Bannister sent me back a signed part of my Bannister when he played for Darlington in 1996. We took out one of the upright supports. I'm going to call it a baluster. I'm not sure. Sent it to him and he signed it and posted it back saying, to Danny and Nick, all the best, you sad lads, Gary Bannister. He also included a lot of Darlington <laughs> programs. I don't know if you're the only person to ever send Gary Bannister a Bannister and for Gary Bannister to sign the Bannister and post it back. <laughs> Makes me feel like Gary Bannister is the greatest footballer of our gen- of, you know, of any generation. What a hero. Um, perhaps it happened to him a lot. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, it really tickled me. Uh, that'll do for today's podcast. Thank you, Nels. Thank you. Just furiously trying to think of footballers whose names are also funny inanimate objects, but I'm just I'm not I'm not getting there. Maybe <laughs> yeah. if I had gotten up at twelve past five this morning, I would have I would yeah. have been in the right yeah. mindset for that. But it... do you remember the former Southampton midfielder Simon French Horn? <laughs> do you remember Barry Barry Breeze Block yeah. who played for Steve Exercise yeah. Bike? What 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 would what would Christian what would Christian Book sign? Yeah, no, that's a good point. <laughs> oh, you've really taken it into the gutter, haven't you? Ernie Anvil. Ernie Anvil. Started uh, with nuns. Well, producer Joel says Elias Chair, of oh, course. Yes. Oh, yeah. um, there we go. Anybody, he had uh, listen, breakfast we're today. all behind. Yeah, sending Elias Chair chairs for him to sign, you know, tricky in the post, but maybe flat pack. Um, uh, <laughs> anyway, thanks everybody. Football Weekly is produced by <laughs> International Week, everybody. Yeah, <laughs> I said thank you to you, Troy. Have I done that? No, you haven't, but I've been no. waiting, waiting, okay. waiting. But yeah, Troy, uh, thank, thank you very you. much. No, my pleasure. Football Weekly was produced by Joel Grove. Our executive producer is Danielle Stevens. Uh, we're back on Wednesday. This is The Guardian.